Hi and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Keris Bradley, who's a favourite of the Gargle listeners and uh, a friend of mine and a colleague in the stand-up industry. I spoke with Keris about um, sort of not quite self-care, but like self-management, understanding what your ecosystem needs and how much batteries you have for various activities and being able to manage that um, from their perspective as a uh, somebody on the autism spectrum uh, who's about to start a job as a teacher, which you know, you'd imagine would be an incredibly socially exhausting job. So we spoke about how that works and how that might work and, and what strategies they have in place for that. I hope you enjoy listening to the conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Uh, we also spoke about a bunch of other things, but listen to the conversation. Um, you can find me online and support this podcast at patreon.com slash Alice Fraser. And it's not just to support the podcast. You can also go there if you want to join our weekly writers meeting, which is where we write for an hour and then we do a workshop for an hour. If you have a thing you're working on, we have people who are working on everything from academic papers to stand up to graphic novels to musicals. And it's a really beautiful little community that is building there. That's patreon.com slash Alice Fraser. You can currently get access to one writers meeting a week for the, a dollar a month. Um, I will at some point reinstitute levels. I, I got rid of the levels during the pandemic because it didn't feel fair or right when everyone was panicking. Um, and so now you get a, a, what I would call a ridiculously good deal. Uh, at some point I, that it will start being <laughs> being more money to do that, but um, not yet. And also when it is uh, more money, it will be affordable. Uh, as well as the weekly uh, writers' meetings for whatever level you subscribe at, you also get the weekly salons where we have a little chat in a Zoom room about ideas that are difficult or tricky or interesting. We also do a book club, which is not weekly, probably once or twice a month, which is a no-homework book club. So you don't have to do the reading outside of it. We just see it together and talk about uh, we, we read a poem or a book or a, a short story or something together in the room and then we talk about it there so um, because one of the things that I've always found about book clubs is sometimes they can feel like having to do homework or adding to a reading list that is increasingly ever expanding so this gives all of the fun of a book club without having to necessarily do reading outside of the room that's about all that the Patreon offers at the moment, as well as my sort of written updates and um, uh, two-for-one tickets and all sorts of things. I'm currently doing a bit of a push for the Patreon, um, which, because I'm, I'm taking a little bit of a step back from live performance. That said, I've just filmed a Twist for Go Faster Stripe, and we also have the full footage finally edited of Kronos, which will be going to Go Faster Stripe as well, and then will be available on my website and probably uh, on YouTube as well if someone doesn't want to buy it. Um, that's all. I'll stop rambling and let you continue listening to Tea with Alice. This is Tea with Alice with Keris Bradley. I'll talk to you again next week. Who are you and what are you drinking and why not? Uh, I'm Keris Bradley. I'm a comedian and maths teacher. And I'm not drinking tea, not drinking anything, because I really hate tea. I've always hated tea. That's interesting. Uh, what do you prefer to drink? Can I get you a glass of water or something? Uh, I'm okay. I, I do like water. Um, I actually... <laughs> I don't really like drinking things out of other people's like cups and things that makes me feel very uncomfortable so not a very good guest i yeah that's that's an interesting thing the idea of not being a good guest being not to accept what people mm. offer it is a weird sort of etiquette that you should take things this idea that you should take things yeah. that you don't want to take 
because people want to give it. I think it's a weird idea in part because we don't really acknowledge how much pleasure it is to give, but we kind of build it into the equations. So it's one of those invisible kind of things that we know it makes other people happy to give stuff without kind of ever saying that explicitly. And so you have to accept a cup of tea even if you don't feel like a cup of tea. I feel like tea of all things is the kind of the most, for most people who don't mind drinking out of other people's cups, is the lowest kind of level of commitment. Yeah, it's quite uh, like low cost because I don't want to take something if it's going to be wasteful and it's obviously not not wasteful but but of the of a, a cup of tea you can waste a cup of tea you can accept yeah. a cup of tea and not drink it and not, that's kind of yeah. that's sort of a form or if you don't want the tea you can have it very weak it's basically just water yeah but it gives the kind of the form of the process yeah that's really interesting um, what are you wrestling with other than being at the end of the festival and tired? <laughs> oh, yes, very tired. I So I um, finish, I've got two more shows because I've got a show today and then on Saturday I'm at a wedding. So I'm not doing a show on Saturday and then I've got a show on Sunday and then we go home on Monday and then on Tuesday I'm starting my first teaching job. Whoa. And so that has been in a little box in my brain. <laughs> For the whole of this month and I have not thought about it but now it's very difficult to not think about it well it's within a handful of days it's yeah. less than a week away yeah how good are you at compartmentalizing and I how think... much has been the dread creeping in the corners about like going straight yeah. into I assume going straight into quite an intense job with no break yeah I so I I think that I would say it just in like no context, if I got asked if I was good at compartmentalizing, I would say no, because the thing that I get most stressed about is, you know, when you have something to do tomorrow and you know that it will be very like intense and you don't know if you'll have enough time to do it, but you can't do any prep now, like there's nothing that you can do right now to make it easier on you tomorrow. I find it, I know that there are people who are like, well, there's nothing I can do. I will there's no point in getting stressed about it. That's the kind of thing that I get very stressed about. Um, and so in that sense, I'm not very good at compartmentalizing, but I have a lot of different hats and different parts of my life. And so on, in terms of like a parallel level, like in the future, very bad at compartmentalizing, but everything on the same plane, I'm good at compartmentalizing. And then this year has been a very intense year because I did my PGCE, so I had to do my final coursework in June. Then in July, I got married. Then in August, I came to Fringe. Oh. And then in September, I start this See, new I job. See, I haven't seen you since you got married. Congratulations. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> but it's been very much like the only way that I've gotten through that period is by being like, okay, the only thing that I think about in June is my coursework. I'm going to finish my final essay. The only thing I'm thinking about in July is the wedding. I'm going to obviously like be there and do all of the organization that needs to be there and then my partner and I went away for a week afterwards and I was like I'm not going to I'm not going to think about anything it's just going to be this week just the two of us and then this month and then I basically did not think about fringe until I was traveling up on the first because again couldn't think about that while whilst, doing your studies yeah. or while getting married and then you don't want to be yeah. mid-vow and think of a punchline <laughs> or oh, this would be if I just did this because I talk about the wedding in the show and so yeah I didn't want um 
didn't want any like oh uh, maybe it'd be funnier if I did this right if I just <laughs> if I poked that particular family button to see what would happen then that would be a that'd be a great way. ending for yeah. the show <laughs> uh, and then my so starting this job so uh, students start on the 5th and so I get a week at school where there's no kids hmm. to like orient myself and get in the space and everything and I've written my first six weeks worth of lessons I did that before the summer started uh, and obviously like as soon as I meet the kids like changes will happen and everything but I've got all of the materials that I need I've got all of the homework sheets I've got all of this kind of thing so that hopefully my first half term I'm not going to feel like I'm drowning and I've got like a, a good foundation but then I did all of those things wrote the last lesson plan and then completely yeah locked that in a box and haven't thought about it I think that I have quite um a weak social battery like this is from a phone that was discontinued many years ago and this friend has been very like much proof of that um so something that I found very much this fringe is that like I'll get home at two o'clock in the morning and I won't be able to sleep and I'll just watch several episodes of bad tv or listen to a podcast or something before I'm in like a and I'm just exhausted from talking to people and I know there's been loads of conversations where I must have come across as so rude but people who I have not met before being like oh um I know you through this person and then asking me lots of questions and just I just don't I, I ran out of I ran out of social battery I think in week two um <laughs> well thank you for coming and doing this <laughs> this counts as work so it's not quite socializing <laughs> uh it's also in a quiet space yes like the, I really really struggle with loud noises I get overstimulated very easily and being in like you know a courtyard full of people talking very loudly and also music. How long did you last at the industry party the other night? I um, lasted 45 minutes. <laughs> so, yeah, I I arrived hungry. It was like, I'm... I'm, I'm it was free food, which yeah, is good. Um, uh, and so I had, to, yeah, I ate something and then I felt a little bit better. And then I played darts and that was good because whilst we were playing darts, we weren't also trying to have a conversation. And so it was very loud, but... I didn't have to think about anything. And I think those were the, I can't do those two things at the same time. So I managed to last for like an hour and a half, maybe. Um, and then what, yeah, that was, that it's, was done. It's so interesting, the different setups that people have. I have almost infinite energy for this kind of conversation. Mm -hmm. I could talk like this. I could do five of these in a row, you know, with different people. The moment there's more than five people in a situation some part of my brain shorts out and goes, I don't know what role I'm supposed to play here. I don't yeah. know what my function is. I may, I, and I know that's a really stupid way to think of like socializing as your job, you know, but what, what is your job in this circumstance? But it, I genuinely, I feel really helpless and yeah. kind of I'm, immediately I stop talking unless it's a situation where it's like an audience. Yes. Yeah, I like I want a group of five people. If I'm very tired and I know I'm going to contribute nothing, mm. then sometimes it's nice to hear my friends having a little chat around me. But I really struggle with like, I don't like it when a story starts and it doesn't finish. And as soon as you get more than four, five people, 
the way that conversations go is that someone will start a story and then that will lead to another thing, which will lead to another thing. And then we never find out what happened. And then I'm spending the whole time being like, okay, but... but what happened to the rabbit? Yeah. Um, and I think it's... So with teaching, I think I've got infinite time to do classes. Not infinite time. Like I, it, is, it can be quite exhausting. And I'm glad that it's, you know capped to one school day the thing that I'm really worried about is that I'm going to be in office with one other person we've got in this school everyone's in an office two people and that kind of conversation because I'm starting this new job with a whole bunch of people that I've met like one time which means the whole of the first term is going to be small talk and I when I'm in the classroom it's not performing but but, it's not not performing yeah and I am in control of how that is going to go and then the club the so I'm very interested in um oracy led curriculum which is where you use a lot of talking to understand the materials and so I've tried to write this course basically there's no point in the six weeks where I'm going to be stood at the front explaining a concept to people uh, all of the activities are kind of designed so that they will hopefully be able to teach themselves or like learn through doing and so I will be more facilitating than like I'm even though it's um it's a sixth form college I'll be teaching A levels it's it's not really going to be like lectures and so I won't just be at the front talking for an hour and a half it'll more be like they will be in groups they will be making things they will be learning that way I will come around and have individual conversations and like prompt them and I and yeah I'm I'm not worried about that like I know it's going to be I, I know it's going to be tiring but I, I really think the thing that's going to exhaust me is that in between when I have to sit in an office with another person who might be a really noisy eater or might be a chatty person and want to know about my weekend and then there won't be a space in the school where I can go and just be by myself with my own thoughts do you Knowing that you have, like, you, you, you are more self-aware than most people about the levels of energy that you have for various kinds of interactions, um, which is one of the things that I think is, is good and positive about discussions about neurodiversity coming into the mainstream, mm. in the same way as discussions about gay relationships have now filtered into straight relationships in a really positive way in that before you engage with someone on a date or something or you hook up with somebody, you actually have to have a conversation about what you might want because there is no default yeah. sort of routine to sexual engagement in a gay relationship or a gay engagement. And so straight people have now had to go, well, that's actually quite a good idea to say things that I might want or not want. Yeah. In the same way, I think discussions about neurodiversity have made... Because I think everyone has... A social battery. Yes. Everyone has, you know, a preferred mode of engagement. Everyone has a limited amount of patience for certain things. And because you have to think about it, because if you get it wrong, you have a, a heightened level of distress. You're not just cranky and weird. You have like a genuine feeling of not okayness. Yeah. I think that's a really, really positive thing. Do you have a way of kind of going into a new situation where you can lay out your needs? Uh, so I had to do this is the first job that I've been to where I had to do like a health assessment beforehand and I had to like tick a bunch of boxes and then I had to have a phone call with someone who asked me what kinds of 
things I would need in my work environment. And I think the day-to-day stuff about that is normally like, do you need a special chair? I think that's the thing that we all know. Like if you've got a bad back, you can have one of those fancy chairs with the right support. Or do you want one of those keyboards that helps with carpal tunnel syndrome, that kind of thing. And I had this really interesting conversation with the nurse who I, so I was really nervous about it because I filled out this form with all of my health needs and things and they only got back to me about autism. They only emailed to say, you need to have a conversation with someone about your autism. And I was really worried about that because I, when I, I mean, when I applied for my PGC, I I wasn't sure if I should tell them because it's the kind of thing that people can decide makes you unfit to be a, a teacher. And so I didn't know whether or not I should disclose it. And I was really surprised because I, I also have IBS. And I think of the two things that are going to affect my teaching. <laughs> the one where like you, you might have a day where you don't get to go to the bathroom the entire day is like probably a more pressing thing to have a conversation with someone about. And so when they only want to talk to me about autism and not about IBS, I was that was a red flag for me, I was like, oh no, is this going to be a difficult conversation? And then the the nurse that I spoke to was really lovely and very practical about it. But basically, until I'm in an environment, I don't know what the problems are going to be. Mm. Because if I have an office mate who is really quiet and, you know, we're in this space, we both want to do work, then that can be really positive. And this is my first year of teaching. I'm in a new school. Like, it would be really great to be in a room with someone so that if I you know, suddenly have to go to the the PE block. I can be like, where is that? Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to be like, put me in a room by myself. But if I get there and I, I have um, mesophonia, I'm really sensitive to the sounds of other people eating and, and drinking. If I, it, It's definitely worse to go into a room with someone and then find out they drink their tea very loudly and then having to be like, this isn't, I'm not going to, I can't, I can't yeah, then you're Then you're making a problem. Yes, and rather than avoiding a problem which is always more intense to deal with yes and it also becomes attached to a specific person like if I say I want to be in a room by myself because I struggle with certain things no one has done anything but if I move because of that one person it's because that person drinks loudly (laughs) and it's a very like catch 22 because you can never tell someone that they eat or drink loudly because no one eats or drinks louder than someone who is self-conscious about how loud they eat or drink so it's really a a, a lose-lose situation and so I had this conversation with the the nurse and she was basically like it's fine go go to the school make an assessment you don't have to decide right now and also you never have to have this conversation Um, and so I can have this conversation with her then she can tell me what we can do about it and then she talks to the school and I you know haven't had to action anything yet so I don't know how well it's going to go but it's reassuring to know that like I technically do have an advocate and that you you don't have to make all of your accommodations known at the beginning so we can sort of because one of the ways that I think being autistic has most affected me is that I've had, you know, like 15 jobs in the last 10 years. My thing is that I do something until it becomes intolerable and then I move on to something else. And I'm very grateful that I've always been able to move to other things. But I mean, even on my wedding day, my dad in his speech was like, this is Karis's first real job. We're all very proud of them. Um, 
keeping our fingers crossed that this one's gonna gonna stick we're all interested <laughs> to see how long it's gonna last but that's you know that's very much my thing and I would really like to make this one a career because I can see how doing it for a long time I can really improve on it and get much better and there are lots of things that I want to be able to do and lots of different environments that I want to be able to work in and I don't want to be someone who is in a school for five minutes and can't build the relationships with students and and things and then immediately moves on so it's important to me that I know that I can adapt this to the situation when I get there to make sure it doesn't become intolerable yes and I think that's the it's interesting what you were saying about how like the language that we've taken from neuro neurodiverse experiences is has made the world kind of better for everybody who can now access that language and understand themselves better because that's my experience I was I was diagnosed at 27 I started investigating whether or not I might be autistic when I was 24 and so I know the pre and post autistic keris and I can now see the fact that I didn't understand these things particularly the social battery kind of elements the um, overstimulation mesophonia all those kind of things because I didn't know and I couldn't look out for the warning signs the amount of like burnouts that I have had and um, sort of self-induced migraines and being like completely laid out because I overdid it now I know oh okay that particular headache means it's okay to say I'm gonna go home and have an early night and I'm gonna recharge yeah yeah and and the way that you characterize these things and I think it's a really interesting and delicate thing particularly for people who are uh I don't know what you would call the subclinical because I think everyone is somewhere along this. Everyone has a social battery. Everyone's going to yeah. run out of juice and become impatient and snappy at some point. The implications of the impact of that and how quickly you recover go yeah. at, at a certain point tip over into what you call a clinical diagnosis. But I think everyone's somewhere in there. Um, it is interesting to ask yourself which things are like are things you can train up, which things are muscles you can build on, which things you ought to push through some level of discomfort in order to expand your capacity and which things are like, oh, no, no, this is like an injury. You yeah. know, this is some, it's not just a, an impact or a kind of potentially hormetic response. It's an actual, this is doing me damage and I'm going to have yeah. to like pay for it. And there are things that also knowing things that help, mm. like everything is worse when my blood sugar is low. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so... Like, I know that there's the stereotype of being hangry, but, and I, I think it's one of those things where, yes, we have all experienced that, where when we're, when we're hungry or dehydrated, things are worse. But I know that I can get to a point of no return if that's, if, if I have not, like, given my body what it needs to function. And I can be in a, a room which is so loud and it's so horrible and I can't cope and then have some food and then feel better and if I miss that window then that's not gonna help and so knowing those kind of things and then also like so things that I've done coming out of the lockdowns because that was also a really useful experience to be like okay 
trying to do as many things as I was doing was not helping. And so I have some rules like I now try to do, we do one thing on a weekend because before, you know, you do something on a Friday night and then Saturday morning and then you have to go somewhere else on the Saturday evening and then also something on the Sunday. And so doing one thing on a weekend, so I definitely have a day where I'm at home and I can do housework and I can do preparations for the next week and I can get the right amount of sleep and I don't have to think about anyone apart from me and my partner. And also I'm not like, I don't always have one eye on the watch when I'm at something because I know that I'm going to have to go somewhere else. And sometimes that can be frustrating, but I know that that's like, I'm very bad with things that I will pay for later yeah, because I want to do the thing now and I won't feel the repercussions now. That's future use problem. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, so I've now, I think I've now had enough. It's like when you have, like, if you drink and you have one massive hangover and then it's so bad that you're like, okay, I will never put myself in that position again. Because you can have a lot of hangovers and be like, this is terrible, but it's never bad enough. And I think I've now had enough rock bottom moments yeah. <laughs> come to Jesus moments yes uh so sort of I, I think I'm giving myself more and that's part of the reason why I started teaching because I know that I do better with structure and freelance was very good for some reasons but missing that structure just was not good for me and it it was terrible but it was never bad enough and then it was bad enough and by that point I've built, built an entire freelance business. And so <laughs> like just had to kind of like scrap that and then start again with something that would give me a bit more structure to rely on. And so I'm hoping that having a routine will also help with the like social kind of recharge because it's a bit like sleep. Like you can survive on less sleep if that sleep is regular and your body knows that it's coming. But if it's here and there and you don't have a regular sleep pattern sometimes even 10 hours will never feel like enough sleep so yeah I think I know how important understanding these things are through a neurodiverse lens because I remember my life before I had that and just everything was bad and I had no idea why and that was going to be the rest of my life so which yeah. is terrifying yeah You're like oh is life just bad <laughs> yeah there's nothing you can do about it uh just like and it, it's when because the thing with things like overstimulation and burnout is that the thing that tips you over is never a big thing and then you're like okay am I always going to be upset by that tiny thing that doesn't matter like my train was delayed by five minutes and now I am cr crying is is this my life and then now now I know that it's not that it's like everything that was leading up to that moment and then you just need that one small thing that tips so. you over yeah yeah I have a I have a friend who was at the beginning of this festival uh, bereaved by of a very close friend um and they were we met up in the street and then met five minutes later and they were very very upset because they'd lost their hat and they're like it's I'm so it's so stupid to be this upset about a hat and I was like I suspect Mm. You're not upset about the hat, you know? Like, you're not not upset about the hat, but you're not this upset yeah. about the hat. Um, yeah, I think it is that it's sort of a spillover effect. I think we're worse at knowing what emotion we're feeling than we think we are, generally. Um, 
which is why most people seemingly behave in ways that are completely incongruous with what they say they want from life. Yeah. You know, they, they, they say they want this kind of life and they do everything that would not get them the thing that they say yeah. they want, um, which is a very, it's a very strange thing. I was, I was talking last night about how grateful I am in many ways for having had to look after my mum being a carer and um, even though I didn't really know I was a carer until after I had stopped being a carer. This was just sort of being a family. Yeah. But it was part of the many, many reasons why I didn't stay working at a law firm. It was one of the many, many reasons that I built a career for myself that was flexible in the way that, you know, not just the comedy part of my career, but the, the podcasting and the writing and the radio and all of those things are flexible that I can ebb and flow with care needs because if somebody's health is unpredictable, you have to be able to kind of, yeah, you know, do a job that you can put a lot of effort into but also be like, oh, I can just use my old set and do that here and I don't have time to write a new thing or whatever. Yeah. And that has made me, it has made being a mother so much easier because I'd already built that career with the flex in it. Whereas people who might through their whole life, say, I want to have a family, I want to have a family, and then build themselves a career in an industry that has no bend, that has no flex, and they just take a massive hit, a massive hit. Yeah. It's it's these statistics, we have the data, we have the numbers, we have the like, oh, you're going to lose X amount of your income and you won't ever get back to the level you would have otherwise been at and, you know, all of those things that people don't realise until they've actually happened. Mm which could have been prevented if you'd actually thought about the thing you said you wanted. Yeah. Which is not to say those industries don't need restructuring. Of course they do. But you just go, but there are ways to build this life. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to sound judgmental. No, but I think it's also... Because I don't think people are wrong to do that, to pursue their interests and go into a career that they like. Yeah. I think there's... So... um, so my uh, brother has a, a child. She is uh, two and adorable and amazing. And him and his partner, I think, are fantastic parents. And I think a really big part of that is... So my sister-in-law um, is immunocompromised. And so she developed um, this illness. It's, the way that I like to think of it is, you know, in Game of Thrones, they have the thing where people get covered in scales. and then, yes. Yeah. So it's like that, but it's inside her body. Oh, so, yeah, another one. Yeah. And she, for a while, it was like all in her throat. So her throat would calcify. She had to have these quite scary operations where they would like laser it off so that she could breathe. And that happened when she was a student. She was training to be a nurse. And then this happened and it took her like five years, I think, to graduate because of the way that her studies were disrupted and her body changed massively. And uh, it was obviously, it was very... Um, emotional and then they had the baby during the pandemic which was a very scary time because she had to completely quarantine and it was really important that uh, she didn't get COVID and my brother was teaching in a school at the time and it was all stressful but I think that what she was very forced to understand in that which a lot of people don't get if you don't have a disability or you don't go through a disabling event or if you don't have mental health problems understanding that the kind of world that we have built is very 
arbitrary and all of these things don't mean anything. So you're supposed to graduate in three years, but you can just ask for more time. And some days you will have no, all of these... Nobody looks at you, you say, I'm a nurse, no one says, how long did it take you to graduate? Yes, exactly. And then some days you may have all these plans, but you wake up and your body says no. And so you rearrange those plans. And some of your friends will get fed up with the fact that you constantly rearrange plans and you won't see them anymore. And some of the friends will, will understand. And then you'll be working on crip time and... Uh, and things don't have to happen just because you wrote it in a diary. You can rearrange those things. They're, like That's not illegal. No one's going to stop you from doing that. And I think when... And now they've got a baby. The thing that that child gets is if she wakes up and she's meant to go to this place for this thing, but it's very difficult for her to put on her coat that day because it feels different to how it felt on a different day. And so she doesn't want to do it. They can take the time and space that they need to give her that because they both understand that just because you have thought that this thing should happen like this, that's not how the world works. Yeah, yeah. The so I think yeah to to sort of I don't I want to make clear that I don't think that I am cleverer than people who yeah end up with awful. I was lucky, and that's why I I, I even though it was really hard to have mum be sick, I was lucky because it meant that I had to build a career yeah that has allowed me to be able to work yeah through the process of having a baby and to continue to work and it was just a matter of. Six weeks after I gave birth, I stepped into a podcast studio for an hour. And then, so that was an hour of work a week. And then I built it up and I built it up and I built it up. And there were so many women in my mother's group, in my WhatsApp mother's group, who felt spent the first year of their baby's life feeling really disempowered by their new status. You know, they used to have a role in the world and a really recognized function. And motherhood is this sort of wishy-washy, sort of revered but not respected yeah. Very isolating, very lonely. You don't use your brain in the way that you're used to using your brain. And then at the end of that year, they have to go back to work full time. And that also feels dreadful. Yeah. And so having been witness to this, you know, the, there's about 20 women in my mother's group and we message yeah. multiple times every day. It's a really wonderful thing to go, is your baby being super clingy right now? That was that, <laughs> this month. Amazing. I felt really guilty because Laser Fraser was being super clingy and I was I was going, oh, it's because I'm insisting on having time to sleep in in the morning so she's not with me in the morning and I'm not putting her to bed because I'm doing the show and it's because she's feeling like I'm neglecting her even mm-hmm. though I'm spending the middle of the day with her even though I'm there all the yeah. time. She's, she's getting damaged by me not being there. And then sure enough, next day in the WhatsApp group, you know, Timothy's being completely <laughs> yeah. deranged, you know, Agatha's crawling up me all the time you know I cannot get her out of my arms like oh what a relief yeah (laughs) it's not me yeah and if you didn't have that then you wouldn't have known that no and I would have felt really really guilty yeah (laughs) you know I have a friend who um she gave birth around the same time that my nibbling was born and this is her first baby and we've had some very interesting conversations because we play together on the same rugby team and before she had the baby the plan was you know have the baby then come back and play and every time we ask her when she's gonna come back she's like oh I don't know maybe in the future like I can't right now because 
David needs a lot of my time or I can't right now because so her husband also plays and it's quite a lot of stuff to like get the baby out of the house and so if they go out for the weekend it will normally be to watch his rugby games rather than her playing and she doesn't want to come to training because that clashes with the baby's bedtime and all this kind of thing and then we had a conversation and one of the things that she's really worried about is she used to be so like before she had a baby she was so fit she was like the fastest person on the team she so strong took her fitness really seriously and she hasn't really done anything when she was growing a whole human in her baby in her belly and then also like having the sleep deprived looking after the child making food for the child with her body all these kind of exhausting processes and so she's not really been doing any exercise and then she went for a run and she couldn't do it and she has really been spiraling and I think that's so, that's very interesting so because I have always been fat and my body has changed size like I go up two clothing sizes based on my cycle like I have an ever-changing body and I have been much bigger than I am now I've been smaller than I am now I have never been constant yes and I can you don't depend or rely on your body to be a certain way yeah in order to feel comfortable in it and I never realized how difficult it must be to have that security and consistency and then for that to be taken away because I'm so used to being super fit for the very short period of time that I can focus on the exercise regime that I have planned for myself (laughs) and then very unfit as soon as I've gotten bored with that and therefore stopped doing anything and so every time I return to exercise, I have to break through the barrier of this used to be so much easier. Yeah. Why didn't I just keep up running in this interim period? Like when I go back, I've missed the whole of preseason and I've spent that time staying out until three o'clock in the morning. I'm going to be so unfit for our first game of the season and then I will be fit again. And that's all the relationship that I've had with my body is that it's constantly changing and that has obviously comes with, looks like I was bullied all the way through school. I'm terrible at sports. Uh, I can't buy clothes in mainstream stores. The clothes that I have, often I can't wear them for very long because my body changes size. But I will never go through that and having my world change so quickly overnight and for that to be so destabilizing for how I see myself. So this is a really... This brings me back to like a running theme of this podcast and then we'll we'll wrap up because I know you have to get about your day. Um, A running theme of this podcast is like, I think it's important to fail Mm. quite often. I I think it's important to find spaces in your life, even if you have a very high pressure life, low stakes, ideally spaces where you can fail. Because for example, like failing out of your exercise routine means that you now have this resilience this to the process of having to start from scratch that people who've always been fit don't have. You have a fitness for gaining fitness, yeah. if you know what I mean, that, that other people don't have, which can be really, um, it can be a really terrifying thing to start from scratch. I know for me, I have been fit, I've been unfit, I've been all different things. And it took me a year and a half to feel like, my body was properly under my control, Hmm. that it was mine again after giving birth. And I don't mean that in the way that it looked or anything like that, my weight or anything. It was just in terms of I know what I'm capable of again. Yeah. 
you know, I, I didn't realize how much of my life I'd spent sort of knowing how fast I could run away from somebody. Yeah. <laughs> Just somewhere in the back of my head, knowing what I would be able to do if you asked me to up that set of stairs or, or whatever. And to not know whether you're fit or unfit is actually quite a scary thing. Mm. To not know what your capacity is or what your capability is. Um, to bring it back to comedy and work, I used to very like, st- not strictly, but like I wouldn't eat before a show because when I started doing uh, comedy, it was at Sydney University at Manning Bar, theatre sports, it was improv, it was lunchtime. So you could eat before or you could eat after. And I found if you ate before, I would be slower. Mm. like literally slower my brain wouldn't work as fast there was some part of my and I was like oh so you sort of have to be hungry for the joke and I just wouldn't eat before a show so if I had a show in the evening I wouldn't eat after lunch until after the show um and then the first show back four and a half months after giving birth I went to the to Adelaide and then when I say the first show I mean the first solo show I'd done a couple of spots here and there but the first solo show I did back was the one I did six weeks after giving birth and then four and a half months. So that one I didn't eat beforehand, but it was sort of early in the evening. Then there was a a later show in Adelaide that was the four and a half months and I didn't eat before the show and I had to sit down on the stage after about 15 minutes. I was like, I'm I'm going to faint Mm. because it turned out that breastfeeding means you can't do that. Yeah. You have to eat. And so I had to like... This job that I'd been doing at this point for 10 years all of a sudden shifted under my feet. My kind of routines and my preparations and all of the things that I knew worked yeah, stopped working. And, yeah, I think that's the first time that it was, like, really unsettling. Because until then, the recovery process from birth was just very, well, you do this thing and then you do this thing and you can't do this thing and you can't do that. It was all very yeah. clear. But to have it kind of come in from the side there and be yeah. like, Oh. Yeah, that's interesting. All right, where can people find you online? Uh, I am hashtag Keris, which is hashtag the word hashtag, and then Keris, C-E-R-Y-S, on all of the platforms. All of the platforms? All of the platforms. Are you on Mastodon? And no, okay, okay, so I'm, I'm on all of the platforms that I have heard of. I'm, I'm just ignoring all of these new ones. But yeah, yeah. Um, I was going to say classics, and then I don't know how I feel about TikTok being a classic, but, you know, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook I don't really use, and X. X. The retro-futurism of X as the name for a thing is so funny to me. Um, look up, Keris. Uh, you run a regular night? I run a night. It is not regular. Somewhat deliberately. But I have a night, which is boys' night, which could be coming to a town near you, especially if you want it to, and email me <laughs> with suggestions of, of spaces and acts uh, for... It's a show, cabaret for um, celebrating trans men, trans mask, non-binary, drag kings, uh, all sorts of kind of gender benders in that space. Um, and we do them all up and down the country and would like to do them more we just need to know that there's going to be an audience for it so if you want it to come to you then we can always send me a message if you think you are the audience for that uh message hashtag keris on any of the classic platforms (laughs) (laughs) thanks so much for not having tea with me thank you for not giving me tea
Oh, do you know her or do you not? This dolphin mistress we have got. Elsie Thompson, it is her name, and she helps the dolphins at every frame. Lousy rifle, doll.